Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente at a special time tonight. Tonight's guest is Kay Montana Jordan, or just Montana, I guess now. Montana is an occult specialist and works as an independent consultant to several local and international paranormal and parapsychological research organizations. In addition to her investigative casework, she holds lectures and teaches classes on occult-related topics and has been a guest on a myriad of, of radio, podcasts, and film projects. Montana is the direct descendant of two distinct bloodlines from the Salem Witch Trials. She is the 10th grand, great-granddaughter of the historical Susanna North Martin, who was hanged in 1692. Montana is also the 10th great... Did I write that already? Both are... I read that right. No, I didn't. Uh, Montana is also the 10th great granddaughter of the historical Rebecca Shelley Addington, Chamberlain, who died in prison in 1692 while awaiting execution. Busy year. Both an ordained minister and pagan priestess, she is currently obtaining her PhD in holistic theology. A whitefish Montana native, Montana Jordan now resides in Portland, Oregon. Montana, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Mary Sowen. Mary Sowen to you and yay, Montana. I'm so happy to have you on Sowen. Thank you. I'm so glad uh, you asked. Um, and it's funny. It's like when, when I got your message and you asked me, like I, I had a brief moment of panic. I was like, shit, how am I going to make this happen? It's like, it's, it's Sowen. It's the busiest day of the year. It's the sacred day of the year. It's the most energetic day of the year. And then I was like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I'm so I'm I'm thrilled, so thrilled. And our mutual friend uh, Eric says just such wonderful things about you. Besides all the stuff that can be said about you by other people, but I trust Aww. Eric and love him. Thank you. Are we talking about him, um, Eric Arneson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the best. Oh, he's so funny. Yeah, he's a he's a good buddy of mine. And he actually uh, messaged me this morning, and um, uh, he told me to tell you. I so I have a message for you. Oh, you excellent. He's been on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I need to catch up on your show. <laughs> but um, so Eric told me to tell you, and this was a, it like he messaged me, I don't know, like six o'clock this morning. So this is really important. Oh, my so God. I'm supposed to tell you that you are the hottest witch in Washington. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's almost a marriage proposal. Right? Yeah. Hey, Eric. Hey. You better watch out. I know. Yeah. So funny. So there you go. Oh, Eric, I love you. Thank you. Just a shout out to Eric. That just made this night even sweeter. Yeah. No, Eric's the best. Yeah. I went to one of his events. Um, gosh, when was that? Two weeks ago? Uh, one of his uh, tarot uh, readings. Uh, yes. With wine pairings in um, North Portland. And uh, he was pretty accurate. Um, his cards totally called me out on my shit. I was like, thanks, Eric. <laughs> what deck was he using, Montana? Um, alchemical crap, tarot, I, I bet. Was the alchemical tarot? You know what? I think it was. That's yeah. his go-to one, right? Yep. That's my go-to one as well. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and it was funny because uh, the, the uh, cards, I was thinking about a very specific um, person in a very specific situation in my life and they're trying to figure out the balance between, you know, how to be open to it and what does it mean um, with, you know, all of these new changes and, uh, you know, all the professional commitments that I have coming up in the next couple of years, a lot of exciting things lined up. And um, the cards uh, totally said uh, something that I didn't want to hear, but they were right. And Eric was like, well, this is, this is a case where you probably don't want to think or act logically, Montana. I was like, son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So don't go to Eric. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you want the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. He's really talented. I me- I keep meaning to get out to one of those. Um, and, and I will, especially now, especially now that I've connected with you also. So Yay, I was just going to say, yeah. Um, he just sent me the invite for his next one. It's, um, at the end of I don't remember, but maybe we can coordinate and we can go to the next Ooh. one together. Let's make it a date, girl. Let's have, let's do that. Ooh, I would love that. <laughs> See, the, the new year is already looking up. It's a witchy new year already. Right? Happy new year. <laughs> Truly. And also what an, what a very auspicious time this is. Um, for those of us that see through the veil anyway, but I think more mon- people that are, uh, I don't know what the word is. People that are more entrenched in the hardness of reality, I guess, are actually honing in on, should I say the supernatural, that there's more going on around them. I'm noticing more people uh, coming to a realization that there's more to the world than what they were thinking. Are you noticing this too? Oh my gosh. Yes, ma'am. And it's about time too, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's, it's a more, um, it's both from both ends of the spectrum, what I'm seeing in both my personal and professional work is on the personal end of the spectrum, as well as the generic end of the spectrum. So on the personal end, um, what you just said, I think we are getting to, uh, this point, uh, where we are starting to realize, um, you're looking at institutionalized religion versus spirituality, realizing, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, if there really is a Godhead or heads, what do they mean? And are they relevant? Do we actually need them? Because, you know, we don't, we don't need any type of, you know, religious base to follow inside of being moral people, the difference between morality and religion and, mm-hmm. you know, that philosophical dilemma. Um, so I think individually people are starting to respond to everything that's happening within our society, within our politics, within our media, and people are getting more pissed off and, uh, a symptom of that is people are starting to slowly become more woke. So I see more individuals starting to come around and challenge themselves and ask the right questions, and they're starting to take action. In addition to uh, the fact that I think we are in a very exciting time uh, spiritually where we're starting to evolve past institutionalized religion and get back to our archaic pagan roots. Very exciting, very spiritual, very beautiful, and very necessary. So very relevant, especially with everything that's going on in politics today. Um, so uh, generically speaking, I think people as a whole, the human collective, we are starting to recognize and tap into that higher inner consciousness the best thing we can do for our for our own growth and um uh for our own growth i'll leave it there is to actually just ask questions mm-hmm. and question the world around you and question your reality and you can do this from being stable you can do this from a stable ground and um and just see where the questions lead you and that's one of the things i notice with people that are so closed down is that reality is exactly as they've been told as they make it it makes them feel comfortable and questioning is a very radical act it's actually very political to question your reality and this goes across the board from politics to religion to your job it's been absolutely made it's been weaponized and made political or religious Mm -hmm. absolutely more more than that you know i always just made me think that uh my mom would get so mad at me because i always ask why 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 (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking (laughs) she's like oh my god shut up 
No, that's a mark of intelligence. And we have yes. seen that, you know, throughout history, you know, not just like um, inside of our wars, but even with um, uh, literary movements. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a huge fangirl for romantic literature. I love the romantic. So the romantic movement that took place in um, the 1800s in Britain, um, they, at that time, they were responding to the um, Industrial Revolution and all of these machines that were starting to take place and um, destroy nature and Gaia and Mother Earth and the romantics. And we're talking William Blake, William Wordsworth, um, oh, yeah. Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, my all-time favorite frame story. Um, you know, they they basically, they, they fought back against, you know, what society was telling them. And they were like, no, we're going to rebel. We're, we're not going to sit in your church. You know, we're not going to be a part of the machine. We're going to rage against the machine. We're going to go back to our pagan roots and we're going to climb mountains and we're going to swim naked in lakes. And we're, we're going to worship each other and worship ourselves and worship nature that way. And, um, so that that's the whole thing, like even in, you know, the 17 and 1800s um, and how the romantic movement affected not just literature, but music and um, artwork and paintings as a whole. So even back then, that was considered a rebellious act, you know, being true to yourself and, you know, again, raging against the machine and saying no, um, you know, to the status quo. So yeah, it's really interesting, you know, what, what you just said, um, Jerry, about, you know, um, like fighting back and, and being rebellious. It's not about being rebellious. It's about being true to yourself. And it's a great night to honor those that have gone before us. I mean, that's what this night is about. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I'm glad you you bring up powerful names from the past in the in the romantic movement. Of course, there are many others, mm -hmm. but that that is what we're doing here. Also, is honoring honoring whatever this illusion of the past is. And on that note. Let's talk about your past. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was moving to Knox Mente. I love right. it. Yeah, it's a good segue anyways. <laughs> so yeah, give since us you already wasted I... 10 minutes. No. Oh, yeah. Wasted. <laughs> wasted, yeah. Nobody's listening right now. Yeah, yeah this is bad. I'm going to go. Know, I... <laughs> That's it, Jerry. Chick talk. You got it out of the way. It's all good. <laughs> oh, my God. You got these. We're loudmouth women. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have okay. to leave the room, I think, if uh -oh. you two were together. Uh... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> okay, so Montana, tell us about the world as you experienced it when you were as far back as you can remember and what what the world was like that you experienced, how you experienced it, what was affecting you, what did you love? And since we're on Samhain, let's let's make a focus tonight in some of these meanders on some of the the paranormal and scaries and all that kind of fun stuff too. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such is my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> We're living it, baby. Oh my God, yeah, we are. Yeah, large and in charge. Um, yeah, uh, uh, for me, it's, it's interesting um, uh, to circle back to uh, what you were saying, Nisha, a couple of minutes ago about reality, about, you know, people, you know, um, if they choose to accept the reality being one way as opposed to another, because we know that there are layers. We know that there are other dimensions. We know that there are other realms. It's been um, scientifically proven that energy cannot be destroyed. Ergo, that means we know that there is an afterlife, that there is reincarnation, that there um, are all of these amazing, wondrous things past what we are able to identify with our own main instrument, with, with our body, with our meat sack, and with our five senses. And so uh, reality is basically 
um, self-definitive. Um, so with that said, true spirituality is an ever-changing journey, in my opinion. Uh, so my reality literally shifts all the time. So, and it, I wouldn't say it goes as, as far as, you know, when people wake up the next day and they're say, wow, I'm a totally different person today than I was yesterday. Um, I think it's important what, what you said, Nish, I think it's important to, um, honor, you know, our blood and where we come from and everything that took us up to where we are today. And that doesn't just include me and my life and my days and the choices that I made. I'm talking about my ancestors and the blood that came before me and, you know, mainly my witch grandmothers and all the other powerful women that I'm so fortunate to descend from. So my realities, um, and I say realities because I have multiple realities because there are layers because I, I do see and feel and experience things very differently than normalized people. Um, and that also includes uh, my dream work. So I'm super excited to talk about my dreams at some point with you guys tonight too. Um, so yeah, realities um, to me is um, is self-definitive. So one thing is going to mean something different to me than it does to uh, somebody else. And, you know, that's what, that's the metaphysics behind it all. That's the philosophy behind it all. And that's what's so fascinating about it. So when you were little, did you have a relationship with nature? I know you're from Montana, so I'm going to assume you did. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's a good, that's a specific question. <laughs> I needed that. Um, yes, I, um, I've i always been um, a big uh, hippie girl by nature. I've always been um, the girl that, like, hates to wear shoes. I always want to be, you know, barefoot, and I always wear, you know, Sister. long hippie skirts. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, I, I won't like brush or wash my hair for days at a time until somebody makes me my, um, uh, master stylist is also my best friend. So that poor man, like he tolerates like so much abuse <laughs> and, uh, like I'll go camping and backpacking for two weeks and then come back home and show up at his salon. And he's like, what the hell did you do to your head? <laughs> And I'm like, that's why I have you. I was busy communing with Gaia. Yay. Um, but yeah, uh, even as a child, uh, yeah, um, being from Montana, I, um, I am, I call myself a, a mountain woman. Um, I, I don't necessarily call myself a country girl when I say that I'm a mountain woman. Um, that phrase to me makes me feel very connected to, um, Gaia and, um, the North and the, the winter and Yay. the ice and, um, which is ironically, you know, uh, where I descend from, you know, coming with the, from my Viking heritage. So mm -hmm. learning more about my ancestry and my bloodlines, like the, the mountains and the cold and the snow, you know, that that's, you know, that's inside of me. That's, that's innate. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always been somebody, um, who would much rather go play outside than, than be inside. And that includes, you know, I've always wanted to find my spirituality outside of the walls of a church. I've always wanted to, you know, uh, find these different senses and realities of myself, you know, running free through the woods and backpacking and camping and, you know, turning my phone off for a week and, and really communing that way. And um, we do know as a paranormal and parapsychological researchers that, electronics and electricity and you know EMS that they uh, really do uh, distort our perception that they really do um, mess with our own energy field so it's it's good regardless just to you know get out in nature and run and be free yeah I think more than ever that's how we're going to need to cleanse ourselves from a lot of the electromagnetic 
craziness. Mm-hmm. Where, so back back in your early days, what was there? Um, what kind of pop culture inspired you? Hmm. Like for me, you know, it was definitely reruns of the original Adams Family. You, I mean, it's all the <laughs> obvious for me. So I'm, I, I just have a feeling, but I, I did love all that, and I loved old movies, and so it was stuff that I actually gravitated towards. And yeah. that was pop culture. It was just older than me. Yeah. No, that's a good question. Um, it's funny. I actually never really got into any of that stuff until I became an adult. I wasn't one of those like goth kids in high school. I never wore black when I was younger. Um, I wear all black now all the time. And, you know, I, I wear big boots now, but I was never one of those, you know, teenagers growing up. I always thought that those kids were the weirdos. <laughs> like, oh, well, black is so flattering to everyone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, it's funny. So, um, for me, um, I, uh, a lot of people, uh, get into witchcraft or paganism or ghost hunting in general because it's trendy because they see it on TV, they see it in the movies and they don't really understand it. So they don't really have any emotional connection to it. I was Mm -hmm. never really exposed to any of that stuff growing up. I was brought up in a very conservative Christian household. So it wasn't until I became an adult that I started to see some of the things that were reflecting pop culture, but those were things that I already knew to be there because they were already innate. They they were already, they were stirring from someplace deep inside of me. So even as a child, I started reading books on paganism and Satanism, you know, and my, my mother just had no idea what to do with me, you know? So, what, so talk about um, the Christian stuff when you were little, um, wh- like how, what kind of Christian stuff, how were you exposed to it? How deep did it run? It ran pretty deep. Um, my parents took us, um, I'm a middle child. I have a big brother and a little sister. And my parents took us to church when we were little. I don't really remember going to church, but it apparently happened. And um, when my sister was born, my mom did have us all baptized Lutheran. And it's funny because um, once when I realized that, I, I don't know, I think I was in college or something because um, I went to a private Catholic college for theology and philosophy. So I was talking to my mom one day about... Um, baptismals and she was like yeah I baptize you Lutheran I was like what like why would you do that (laughs) why um but it's funny because um you know as much as I don't agree with it um it's at least my mom if she was going to baptize me at least she baptized me Lutheran (laughs) because again to talk about you know rebellion and rebellious nature you know Martin Luther was rebelling against the Catholic Church and I'm all for that so I think he's definitely a a lesser of the spiritual evil It's yeah, it, you know, I don't have any ba- any baggage with any of it, so I find it all interesting. I like that he did rebel against the church, which I only learned later, by the way. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. always cool. Sorry, I was drinking water. Um, yeah, Martin Luther was actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, he basically, you know, told the the Catholic Church to go f off, and he did what he wanted to do. And you know, we we need people to do just that. Um, but yeah, so anyways. Um, I was brought up in a house with, you know, um, Bibles sitting out. Um, my parents have a painting of Jesus in their, um, foyer, you know, hanging in their house right now. Um, and, uh, even as a child, um, I was very interested in learning more about God and religion, but because I didn't have that background, I I didn't have any emotional attachment yet. I didn't understand 
why I was so passionate about it. I didn't understand where it was coming from. And then when I started to, when I went to college and I started to learn more about theology versus religion and, you know, what everything was as a collective whole, that was when I really started to understand, oh, well, you know, that's why I didn't agree with this, you know, and, and that's why, um, you know, I, I've always identified myself as a, a pagan because, you know, we are pre-Christians, you know, we choose not to subscribe to an institutionalized religion. So um, anything that predates Christianity. And that was solidified for me with the college that I went to. I was a part of the honors theology program and uh, my academic advisor was a nun and she was a head of the theology department and she hated me because I was the only non-Catholic there. Uh, so that was fun. But um, I made a choice to go to that school because Catholic schools are the best. They have the toughest curriculum. And I wanted, you know, to get the best education I could get. Um, I thought Jesuit so, schools yeah, were the, the best. <laughs> they're pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm basically the only person like myself in my family. Everybody else is, you know, God-fearing. Everybody else, you know, identifies with being Christian. And so I participate in uh, religious events like, you know, we get together for Christmas, you know, I don't necessarily celebrate Christmas, you know, I, I celebrate my version of Yule and what that means for me. But yes, it's, it's um, definitely been tough. Even as a child, I was always uh, the odd one out. So nobody never really understood me. And I've just learned to appreciate that about myself now. Is I've got um, a couple questions here, but one I want to ask about. So I love all the Sacred Heart stuff, and I have Marys everywhere, mm -hmm. um, but she's the goddess to me. And but so the G and I love the Jesus Sacred Heart stuff. What is the Lutheran Jesus portrait like? Oh, good question. Um, because you know I, the one, the Catholic one, where it's sometimes a bloody heart, sometimes there's you yeah. know the, the crown yeah, of thorns and the fiery. Yeah. The Catholic one is, yeah, the, the more scary one. Roman yeah. Catholic or... Or Episcopalian, that. all right. that. But the Catholics right. have good Jesus. What did you want to Like know? good Jesus imagery. Lutheran. I wanted to know the Lutheran one that was hanging in Montana's house. Like, what's that portrait of Jesus? Like? Um, it's actually, um, when we get done talking, I can find it and I'll send it to you. So it's um, it's an image that people are really familiar with. It's a really famous painting. I don't know how old it is, but it's just a, a white Jesus with like light brown hair and uh, blue eyes. And So no bloody heart or anything? Oh, God. No, no. Yeah, nothing at all. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, oh, I think Jerry's showing it. Okay, yeah. cool. It's that one right there. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know that one. So, but I really love those, the Catholic one. Uh, give me that bloody heart any day. I find it so powerful. It is oh. powerful. Yeah. It is. It, it, that imagery, since the imagery, you know, I mean, it's just born out of paganism. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so back here, what led you to your first, um, so in, in this early days too, and I want to, get into dreams in the early days, but just to flesh out some of this, what led you to your first kind of um, occultish or, or paranormal or off your beaten track from what you were getting at home? You know, what was the first book or inclination of the supernatural for you? Hmm. Or witchiness, just general witchiness. Hmm. Honestly, um, it all... It, it's all the same for me and it all stems from the same place. So um, it would probably go back as far as to one of my first uh, recollections with something paranormal. That's when I was uh, a little girl. I was think I was about six years old and I was harassed by um, a dark entity in my house. And 
you know, at the time I, again, cause I didn't have, you know, the background, I didn't know what it was. I just assumed it, it scared me. So I assumed it was something negative. So I just, you know, with a Christian upbringing, I assumed it was, you know, something demonic, something negative, you know, that was trying to get me. And, um, now I know that that's absolutely not what it was. You know, I, I choose not to, you know, live in fear. I choose not to make, you know, fear-based decisions. And, mm-hmm. you know, as adults, we have that capability, we have that flexibility. Um, so even it even start it started for me when I was really little. Um, I could always see things. I could always uh, talk to things. I could always, you know, commune with things. I could um, manipulate uh, energies. I could manipulate electronics. So um, even when I was little, and it wasn't until I started to grow into my own and become my my own woman and uh, my own adult that I realized that these things were witchy by nature and that they were paranormal by nature. And then, um, as a working as a, um, active paranormal researcher for all these years, starting to realize that things are, um, less paranormal and more parapsychological, that it is more about the self. Yes. Yeah. What was the, um, experience if you don't mind sharing? Um, I, I, I have, um, a really bad memory. I mentioned that on, on the show that I did with Solaris. Yes. So it's like all a bit of a blur to me, which is really interesting walking around with such a bad memory. Cause I literally walk around with like, and I wouldn't even describe it as like an emptiness or a void. I'm definitely not a devoid person. Um, and I definitely, I don't feel empty, but there's just something in there that I just, I can't emotionally connect to with. And I think it's, you know, these memories that I'm supposed to have, and I'm still trying to figure out why and what may have happened to me. And I think I'm getting closer and closer with that, with my personal research work. So I'll be, you know, I would love to talk about that more sometime in the future. Um, but uh, with, um, things that I, I think that I remember this was my, my first recollection. I think one of the first things that actually, or that I cognitively remember that actually put me on the path, um, that brought me to the woman that, that I am now. And that's when I was about six years old. This was uh, the house that I grew up in. I was, um, we grew up in a really big house. I was downstairs. I remember being alone, but I don't know. I, I, I'm sure my mom was in the house somewhere. Um, I was downstairs in this black entity. It was black in color. This black entity appeared to me and um, it looked like it was wearing a cloak. It had a hood. Um, I couldn't see its face, but I remember seeing a, a large mouth that was open that looked like, like a tunnel, like a black hole that was spiraling Ooh. and its arms were outstretched and it didn't have feet. I don't think it had feet. I don't remember seeing feet, but it floated and it literally flew around my house like a few feet off the ground and it would uh like open up its mouth and um I don't ever remember it talking to me but I remember it like screaming at me and moaning and groaning at me and it would outstretch its arms to intimidate me you know like um you know like a a mountain lion would if it was getting ready to attack you you know Mm -hmm. to make itself bigger and it would just chase me around my house. And I just remember like crawling into corners and crying and waiting for it to go away. And it would always show back up. And uh, of course, at the time I was, you know, terrified as shit. I had no idea what it was, what was happening, but it was um, what I recollect that memory, that incident. And it wasn't just the one time, um, but whatever that being was, I credit that to 
me being who I am and doing what I'm doing now. Because if that hadn't happened and if he hadn't kept coming back, if he hadn't been persistent, if now I see him as somebody like, okay, Montana, who are you? Okay, Montana, you're being challenged today. Okay, Montana, you've got to get out of this fear. You know, you've got these things that you're supposed to do, Montana. You have the capability to see me. Okay, so let's figure this out. Let's make it happen. And, um, so now as terrified as I was when I was little, I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. And now I, I, I think I know who he is and he shows up again every once in a while. Like, it was your wake up call. Me. So now basically, so yeah. And it's funny because now that I'm getting, um, into more of a heavy parapsychological, um, research equipped field work, I'm even wondering, you know, um, because I, I don't necessarily believe in demons, um, not the not the way most people would. I think it's it's a two of a Christianized term. So when I say a demon, I mean it's something you know different. An energetic uh, force. Yes, definitely. Yeah, something that that honors its darkness because darkness is to be respected and not feared. Darkness is beautiful, and um, that it was um, yeah something uh, that appeared to me uh dark but that was just this avatar so um understanding as an adult now and as a parapsychological researcher is that an image that i willed was that an image that i needed to see for myself was that something that i subconsciously set in place for myself or was i not the self mover in that situation was the being in complete control of that situation and were they choosing to appear to me in that manner to literally scare me out of my wits but um, so those are all questions I ask myself with, you know, investigations that I do and calls that I get, you know, who's the self mover, who's really in charge, what really is free will and how can we manipulate it? Mm-hmm. The image of it with the black hole mouth is just amazing. I mean, I've not heard anyone say that. Another thing that came to mind is, um, I know some people refer to the Reaper, not necessarily like the Grim mm-hmm. Reaper, but they call similar descriptions of these is reapers. Yeah, um, and that would make sense because I, I commune with the dead and yes, that's, yes. that's even another word <laughs> I don't like because nobody's ever essentially dead, right? Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, so I'll say, you know, the embodied versus, you know, the disembodied, the living versus the dead. But um, yeah, you know, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, something, you know, dark and eerie that it was associated to, you know, darkness and, and night and that whole side of the spectrum. I've never been... Um, I don't consider myself a light worker. I've never been that person to see, you know, the all the the happy, happy stuff behind people and the rainbows and, you know, the angels and the pretty lights and, and sparkles that, you know, other people claim to see. I see the dark shit. I see mm-hmm. the shadow people. I see like I, I I see people's bad intentions. I see something bad before somebody does it. I, I'm definitely mm-hmm. more in tune with with my darkness. But it's not that the not the negativity of it it's not the negative side of darkness it's just a a different kind of energy a different kind of power do you so this actually this was not a dream this was something you experience it's recurring in what we call waking life yes exactly yep it happened in real time uh and more than once and it appeared to me um over and over again over the years pretty much at every house i've ever lived in that it's intriguing i um Man, I want to talk about that more. So I've got that all circled. So back in your, and just to kind of wrap up the early life, Mm -hmm. do you have any, what was your relationship with dreaming? And I know that you have already prefaced this with a bad memory, which I think is free. Let too many people live in the past. Um, I like that. So, but do you, 
did you, were you an active dreamer? What were your dreams like that you can recall? What was dreaming like for you as a young Montana? Good question. I don't remember much from when I was little, uh, as opposed to how I dream now. What I do recall, um, I, I'm not a, so this is why dream work is so fascinating for me. I think that uh, dream work is hugely relevant, both within paranormal and parapsychological research work, and of course, just inside of spirituality as a whole. Um, but dream work is very significant and deserves more serious scientific study. And for me, I have never been a normalized dreamer. I don't dream normalized dreams compared to what it seems like um, human dream. And uh, for me, I've narrowed it down. Um, and this is a, a something that I've been working on actively for years. Like I'm a terrible dreamer. All of the shit that I can do, I'm such a bad dreamer. Like I, I struggle with that. So that's, that's something that I've been trying to personally um, empower myself with over the years. But um, <clears throat> I don't dream like a normal person. I tend to have two different sleep state scenarios. And the main one is um, uh, recollections are all similar situations. And I'm doing, um, and they're not reoccurring, uh, but they're all very similar. I am um, doing something specific in all of these and whether I'm in a different environment or not, I have come to understand that these types of dreams are probably past life memories. So those are the types of visions I have in my sleep state. And um, number one, number two is I have um, premonitions and they don't always come true. They're not foolproof, but um, so I, I tend to not dream in the present. And what's, um, also interesting about the dream work that I do, and I'm not, this is actually something really, really fascinating. Um, and I, I would love to figure, I need to figure this out more for myself and talk to more colleagues about this as I'm still learning about this. But, um, I know that my astral self is, um, I've learned that it's more powerful than I thought it was. And. Um, I think with dream work, you know, that's when we uh, do our soul travels, you know, that's when we connect with, you know, our inner consciousness, this is when we connect with other psyches of ourselves. That's why dream work is so relevant. And for me, um, I think that I don't dream like a normalized person because I am actually actively running around doing astral projection work. And even though I tend to be a really bad dreamer, I constantly have on almost a daily or um, a bi-daily basis, literally people from <clears throat> all over. I have uh, colleagues and friends in Finland and, in Finland and Scotland and Ireland. <clears throat> I have people that will call me or email me or text me and tell me that I showed up in their dreams again. So I apparently visit people in their dreams all the time. And I didn't think it was me doing it. I didn't think that I was willing that, but I'm, I'm um, researching it more and I'm practicing it more. And I think I'm starting to figure out how and why that happens. So when you're astral projecting, what, what does that, what does that look and feel like? What's that, the, how do you navigate it? What's the landscape look like, the architecture of it? Um, mm, it's a picture for us. 
it's going to be different every time because it's going to, it's the same with um, whenever you um, experiment with psychedelics or when you go into um, any other type of energy uh, session. Like every time I um, work with my Ouija board, um, every session is organic. So every session is circumstantial. So you can learn something from you know, an incident that came before that, but every, every single time you do it, it's different because everything changes. There's like always some sort of glitch. There's always some sort of manipulation in the energy and energy is constantly transferring and altering. So every single time you do it is different. <clears throat> so, um, for me, when I am astral projecting, it is either me looking at myself or an experience in a past life. And I think that I am reliving a memory, but I'm getting so specific with it that it's not just me looking at a memory. I am actively inside that memory. And I wonder if when I'm doing these things that I'm trying to right a wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know if I think in, in my subconscious, if I'm like, okay, maybe I can change the past. Maybe I can make this happen. I'm not quite sure what my motive is when I'm um, in that particular sleep state, when I'm looking at a past life memory. Whereas when I'm having a premonition, if I'm actually projecting, that premonition is something that is outside of me. It's just that's something that's external as opposed to something internal like a past life memory. Um, so for me, astral projecting, it's, uh, um, quite literally when you exit out of your body, so you can literally see your body outside of yourself. So you know that you are still you and you are still your, your essence, your pneuma, your life force, but you are now at external stimuli. So you now have, um, removed your, your earthly, your biological tether, you've removed your, your body, you know, your, your meat sack, and you are able to, um, essentially, you know, teleport. And that's why I think time travel is real. Time travel is possible. It's, uh, it's actual projection. It's, it's dream travel. It's all the same. Yeah, that that's I we constantly are talking about. I think it was Gordon White who really brought this to light was like the it's all states of lucidity really. Mm -hmm. It's just where you are on that spectrum. Um okay, and then so back one more question about um young you. Yeah. Were you did you have fears or terrors were you afraid of was there things you were afraid of? Hmm. I don't remember ever really being afraid of anything other than um that dark entity but it came around so often that i just kind of got used to it so i i eventually learned not to be afraid of it which is interesting though because even though i've always been a bad dreamer my big brother always experienced really lucid night terrors like even up until adulthood even up until he was like 18 and moved out of the house um he would oh, have, wow. yeah and he would sleepwalk and he would like scream in the middle of the night and wake us all up um, and, uh, a lot of, um, colleagues that I work with that I have a lot of respect for, you know, the, the, um, theory that most people, uh, agree on is that night terrors is also related to a past life experience, you know, some sort of a memory or a trauma that you're working through now in this life, in this body. Um, and so that would also correlate with, um, and I, I have a lot of um, friends who are young mommies and they come to me concerned with, um, you know, their, their babies or their toddlers, you know, that wake up in the middle of the night that seem to have bad dreams. And, um, I have this one mommy who has a three-year-old son and, um, he dreams that he is in a fire, um, every night. And 
uh, she took him to a psychotherapist and um, they worked with him and the psychotherapist came to uh, believe that uh, her little boy actually died in a fire in his past life. And um, they got him to talk about it. And, you know, he has since been able to relinquish his fear of fire. So now he'll like, you know, like, he's not scared to go camping because he, he never wanted to go camping because he was scared of the campfire. He didn't understand why people wanted to start fires because he always associated fire with death and pain and agony and mm -hmm. trauma. So even at um, a young age, even, you know, when we're two and three and four years old, you know, we, we have that, that innate understanding. It's, it's that whole, you know, biology versus spirituality. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard balance to navigate. Indeed it is. Did you, and so kind of on the subject, but this is, this is timeless when, whenever it happens. Um, do you, have you experienced um, any form of like sleep paralysis? Mm, that is a great question. I have not, although I have somebody uh, very close to me, one of uh, my closest friends, one of my most cherished people in my life, um, he does experience, um, what he calls sleep paralysis, because of course that's what, you know, the medical and the scientific community calls it. And, um, he is very terrified of his, uh, experiences that he has during the night. And it's not very often he'll talk to me about them. So, um, what I can get out of him, my professional opinion is that he is not having these nightmares. It's not sleep paralysis. I think that he is an abductee. I think that he's got ETs that are coming into his room and messing with him. Since, since you let us right into that, um, and we're kind of just flowing, what are your thoughts on all of that? All, everything that kind of fits under that ET umbrella, mm -hmm. where, where, do, where, where is that with you? Um, I am learning the more I grow, the older I get, the more I see that most of the shit is real. ETs are real. Uh, UFOs, we don't call them UFOs anymore. We call them UAPs. Um, they're real. Time travel is real. You know, the layers and, and the, the veils, everything is real. Magic is real. You know, different people call it different things. And it's known, you know, throughout the, the world and different cultures and different religions is it's labeled under different names. Um, but it's basically all the same and it all comes from the same place. And for me, that's the, the higher working inner consciousness that we're all a part of. And uh, everybody, you know, we call ETs, you know, extraterrestrials. And um, we know that they are interdimensional beings, that they are able to come and go easier than we are. And that's why we're fascinated by them. We're trying to figure that out. You know, how, how do they maneuver through their environment so easily when we seem to be tethered, you know, to earth and our, and our biological meat sacks and to gravity. And the thing of it is that we know that we are made up of energy. You know, some people will call that a spirit or a soul, but Regardless that the scientific definition of that is that we are interdimensional beings as well. We have the same capabilities that everybody and everything else has. We are just um, still trying to figure it out. I think that we are we are tethered, you know, we're stuck in our physical body. So again, it's just, it's about navigating that balance, you know, being a biological being, but also having a spiritual body and, you know, trying to figure out what that means to the individual. 
you, yeah, I hear you. And, you know, I don't, I, it struck me early in my life that there people were talking, reading old literature and old like horror stuff and horror accounts and then living in modern times since 1947 when it was really the ET craze. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that my, it's really my parents era, but I mean, you know, we're under that umbrella um, where things from the Fae and all of that started to turn into extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. And um, so they started to look similar to me. The accounts start, you know, the Fae will abduct. You can be abducted by the Fae. Mm -hmm. And I mean, these stories are everywhere. And, um, and so at some point it seemed like there were less of those. And all of a sudden there was the new ET on the circuit. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that crossroad right there or that um, point of connection is fascinating to me. How, how we consciously wrap our minds around this experience that people are actually having and, um, and not, you know, how easy it is for, I guess, normies or normalized people <laughs> to, to, to shudder it off. Mm -hmm. whether it's fairies or ETs, and yet there are too many of us in yeah. the world experiencing very some high strangeness that I think is, you know, aside from the percentage of people that may have psychotic tendencies mm -hmm. are credible. And so this all ties into what we talk about here. I would like to, since we're kind of at this crossroad here, what is the nature of consciousness for you? How... So this state of consciousness, consciousness where we are right now talking with this nowness, mm -hmm. um, what, what's the difference between this and other states? So, you know, like you can have a memory and the memory can be weird. You have a bad memory and that that's, I mean, I think that's illustrative of actually memory in general. It's not tangible. Yeah. It, it almost doesn't exist except for we, we bring it into existence through our will. Mm -hmm. That's true. And we know that we can't trust our memories. We know that we can yes. implant memories into other people's minds. So mm -hmm. we have to be um, aware of the fact that we have to be skeptical even of ourselves and this is something I always mention in the classes that I teach and the lectures that I hold that it, um, I think as a legitimate researcher and as a true academic, it's important that I maintain for myself as well as, you know, I feel like the, the moral and ethical um, obligation that I hold to my clientele and to, you know, my, my academic circles as a whole to um, always maintain a healthy level of skepticism. And for me, that means always staying open, staying open, staying open, staying open. However, being skeptical about it, questioning everything. And that means questioning my colleagues, questioning my clientele. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm running around accusing everybody of lying, but, you know, uh, being a, you know, a, a woman rebellious by nature, you know, questioning everything, wanting to know more, wanting to know why. So it's uh, maintaining that healthy level of skepticism. And I think first and foremost, within yourself, within the individual, always, you know, reaching further and, and working harder and, being like, okay, well, I had this experience, but what does it really mean? And how am I choosing to interpret this experience? 
if this experience seems negative, is this really something negative that happened or is this just my emotion behind it? And am I experiencing this from a, a fear-based lens? If I am, I have, you know, the capability as an intelligent, you know, conscientious being to step outside of myself and alter my emotion, alter my reality, alter my emotional connection to my encounter. And uh, that is, you know, essentially control and manipulation of energy, you know, which is the main tenet of, you know, paganism um, and witchcraft and energy work as a whole. Um, but yeah, for me, bottom line is that um, everything is real. And uh, the things that I didn't think were real five years ago and 10 years ago, I've, I've seen them now, I've experienced them now, they're real. And there are still lots of things that um, I haven't uncovered yet. You know, I have clients that call me and say that, you know, they saw this or they experienced this. And I'm like, shit, I haven't yet. No fair, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer. And I think that the more I stay open and the more I stay skeptical that I am in control of my realities, therefore in control of my consciousness, that there are different layers. And um, I think that also means that there are different layers of consciousness. There are different psyches, you know, that there are different layers of our subconscious, different layers of, you know, what we think we are as individuals. And of course that makes up, you know, our past, present and our future. And then again, to, um, you know, talk about um, when we are experiencing these things in an altered state, you know, um, in a state of psychosis, whether, you know, we're in a dream state or, you know, we're astral projecting or we're experimenting with uh, psychedelics. Um, the, the, I think the reality of it is that with all of these layers, we are able to navigate through them all. So it's about being open and skeptical of this larger inner consciousness that we know that it's there. We know that we're a part of it. Some of us are just able to, you know, hold on to it better than others. In your opinion, what, and it, of course, this is Nox Mente, so all we're interested in is our guests' opinions and real deep feels, right? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't care about um, hanging stuff on a scientific method or anything. We can, there's plenty of other places where that stuff can be talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, so what is, what is the object, this is the, one of the great philosophical questions. I love all this stuff. So what do you think <laughs> the whole meaning of this process of being dense in matter, you know, like the, the, this kind of reality where we come in and we have this experience and then we leave. So we, we come in and we know we're going to leave. We learn that at least early on. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, there's death cults all around it, religions and, um, and all this crazy wrapping that goes on, but at the core, there's something magical with the process and there's something magical with the transition, you know, and transitions in general. So what, what are your feelings on all this? Hmm. Um, I think that our inner consciousness and our realities or realities plural are essentially what we make them. And um, I know that, that that might be a bit of a frustrating answer because, you know, true spirituality is, is an ever-changing journey. So it's going to mean something different to one person, you know, than it does to the other. Um, but you know, to circle back, uh, defining what, you know, consciousness means to me, it, it, it has so many different layers and, and levels and depths that, it, that it's going to mean so many different things based off of, you know, 
like what direction you are looking at it from. Um, so, uh, what did you ask me again? Your last question. Well, so for you, what, so for you as a person in this experience we're all having, what is the process? What is life for, what is going on here? What's this about? And, and, and not, you know, I really, I'm talking to you, so I don't care about anyone else at this moment. You are on stage, girl. And um, <laughs> so what do you, at the core of it all, think the process of, um, of being a flower for whatever period? You know, that's basically what yeah. we are. We're like a fruit or a flower. We, we bloom and die. What's, True. what's that about? I like that. Um, my professional opinion would be, I don't know. Um, that we are looking at things from every possible perspective, looking at things from, you know, every possible known, you know, culture, ideology, theology. And, um, you know, we, we still don't quite understand everything that's happening. And that's why, yeah, um, theology and spirituality and philosophy and metaphysics as a whole is so fascinating because we know that science is limited. There's only so far science can take us. Science is great, but essentially as paranormal and parapsychological researchers, we're trying to um, venture into a known afterlife and uh, science cannot calculate that. You know, there, there are a lot of things in my line of work that, um, that science just uh, won't measure. So there needs to be that perfect marriage of uh, scientific inquiry and metaphysical inquiry. And for me, that is occultism. I'm an occult specialist. That's what I'm known with in my academic communities. And uh, for me, that, that, that bridging gap, that, that actual tangible bridge is occultism, is all things occultic and all things esoteric, which basically is an umbrella term, you know, that, that stems into, you know, anything and everything. Um, so for me, I think that it is just about when we are stuck in our meat sacks, you know, me and my physical tangible body right now. I think where I am right now, um, I think it's about really experiencing my human experience. And that means uh, literally living through the pain and the beauty and the terror and the cruelty of it all and um, experimenting with my body and understanding that detoxification really hurts and what that means and how I can push my body and how I can uh, use the, the physical pain and, you know, the these um, biological thresholds that I have to really open up my spiritual body. So again, I think it's just about honing into that balance. And I think that every time we are uh, put back here and put into, you know, these stupid tangible meat sacks, when I'm put back into a, a human body, um, it's, um, I think, uh, again, I'm, I'm not, you know, the biggest fan of institutionalized religion, although uh, Buddhism and specifically uh, Tibetan Buddhism, I think that they got, um, I agree with a lot of their ideologies and their philosophies. I think they got it a lot right in terms of reincarnation and not so negative to the point that, oh, we're all here to suffer. We're all going to suffer and we're all going to, you know, die of broken hearts. And, and that's that. You know, but the truth of the matter is that, you know, we are humans and we are called to live a human experience. And that means, you know, all of the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. So for me, I think the more intelligent people and the people that recognize um, how to vibrate on a higher frequency and how to 
call into those higher vibrations and um, you know, that that's a pathway to, you know, seeking and living in the higher inner consciousness that we're all a part of. And it's all accessible. Everybody can do it. I think the point is just figuring out how to navigate through that and to do it a little bit quicker and a little bit easier every single time. And, uh, and if we are doing this on a repetitive motion, then that must mean that there is a bigger end goal. And, um, you know, that end goal is going to be different for other people. You know, if you're looking at, at things through a religious specified lens, some people call it heaven, some people call it moksha. Um, and that also circles back to that parapsychological question of, you know, am I the self mover? You know, it, it, do I really have free will? And how, how lengthy is that free will? There are different cultures that say, that when we die, we have that choice to reincarnate and we choose, you know, to be put back into this specific body and we choose to be put back to where we are and we are conscientious of all these choices. I don't think it's, it's that black and white, um, but I also don't think that things are really that complicated. I think that the natural worlds are much more simplistic than we think we are. And that's why I think that that man and beast are always going to battle with each other. That's another balance that, that we need to work on as a whole. I, I totally agree. Every time my go-to is to look towards nature for answers yes. and the natural world and, 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 and animals in their natural environment, how they interact and plants and how they interact and all that. I think it's, it's there for us to reflect upon. Also, I want to chime in. I think that all the major religions have a gem in them. I think that this, I think, yeah. I feel like there are truths everywhere and we are just like in Zelda going around picking up, <laughs> picking up gems. But on this note, this is um this question popped up for me. Does mm -hmm. reality form as you experience it? Hmm. Does reality form as you experienced it? So was that past tense? You said experienced? No, experience it. So as experience. we as, Yeah, so like um almost like the split. Does like it the render observer. before you? Yeah. So, and this is a free will question, really. Like, do we create our reality as we're moving through this experience? Or, so, again, you've been talking about this a lot, which I I ask this question usually, but I didn't need to with you because you've addressed it. Mm -hmm. But free will, you know, fate and intent, free will and and stuff that's uh, uh, more structured or fixed. Mm -hmm. So, with the idea of, especially as um, as an occultist and someone into deep into the supernatural and paranormal i i think that yeah i'm curious as to where you stand on that how does reality form around you hmm. and and i'm basing this off of the double split experiment um where the observer changes the outcome yeah that's true that's true and we actually see that when we do um uh ouija board work like when um i uh, do, um, energy sessions, even if it's just with one person with one clientele, or if I'm, uh, working as a group, like with a workshop that I hold, for example, um, because everything and everyone is organic, everything is constantly changing. Everything is circumstantial. So it's, it's, very frustrating. <laughs> you can learn things from one <laughs> session and it won't apply to the next and you're like, shit. Um, so <laughs> And that, that's what's fun for me. Like, I love my job, but I, I literally, like, I, I'm still learning. There's still so much that, that I need to learn. And there's still 
oh my God, there's still so much out there that I still have yet to uncover. And for me, that, that that's all inside. So the, the more I continue to work on myself and have a, a closer, more inter- intimate relationship with myself, then, you know, the, the more powerful I'm going to be. And, and, you know, the, the more I'm going to be able to contribute to, you know, my environment and hopefully, you know, honor my, my grandmothers and, you know, all the wonderful women that came before me, you know, in terms of honoring my bloodline, especially tonight of Samhain. Um, but Yes, I, I absolutely believe that we create our realities as we experience them. I think that because everything is circumstantial and everything is organic, um, we are extremely powerful, fruitful, amazing interdimensional beings. And I think that we all possess parapsychological capabilities. I think that we all have the uh, capability to garner certain skills. And for some people that's gonna be, you know, telekinesis, for some people that's gonna be clairvoyancy. It's, you know, like the sky is, is you know, literally like, it's, it's like there is no limit. There's so much that we can do. And I think that, that's again, you know, to circle back, that's why it's important to maintain that healthy level of openness and skepticism to say, Hey, I can do this, but you know, how can I do this? And what does it mean? You know, how, how can I push myself and, and, you know, how, how am I going to, you know, make this session more powerful today than I did it yesterday. So in doing that, um, I, I am creating my, my own reality and I'm, I'm basically making my own rules and, um, being as deep into witchcraft and paganism as I am, I know that we have the capability to, uh, create and control and manipulate energies and um, like baby energies and old energies and energy fields. Um, it's it's all the same. So with that said, because everything is organic, uh, energy is is always inside of you and around you and spiraling around you. And uh, from a metaphysical standpoint, we know that, you know, everything is made up of energy and that different things just appear to us in in different manners and that different, you know, we have these different avatars, but I, I'm starting to understand more the older I get that I do have more free will. And to me, that means being aware of my role in the larger inner consciousness tapping into what you know my powers are and what my femininity means to me and what being a powerful woman means to me and giving that back into my relationships and my family and my sisterhood and my community excellent do you think is it possible that so this is a question i i i constantly ask myself this so it's all these questions I ponder because that's, you know, that's how this was all born of. This is what this is born of questioning our reality. Right. So this is a question. It's an, it's one of the great literary subjects that you see. And it's definitely played out in some of my favorite films ever like Siesta. And um, I was asking, is it possible that we're actually already dead? I mean, I know that we can cut ourselves and die and appear to bleed out and and all that, but is it possible that this is some sort of review or um, loop of any kind? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think that if one thing that I've learned working in the field after all these years is that anything is possible, and that's why it's so freaking terrifying. Absolutely, it's possible. 
And it's probably not only possible, it's it's very plausible. It, it just makes sense if you think about it. And to take that a step further, it wouldn't even necessarily be a, a um, you know an embodiment versus disembodiment scenario. Um, I was actually talking to a, a friend about this the other day. Um, is uh, I'm super focused on um, working with ETs right now because I had, you know, a, um, I told Solaris about it, you know, that really profound ET encounter I had um, a year and a half ago. And that was, you know, the first one that I think I remember cognitively. And then since that happened, it, it's like, um, you know, something shifted inside of me and another, another avenue of myself was opened up. So, uh, since that happened, I've been experiencing things differently. I've been experiencing my reality differently. So I'm still trying to understand what that all means to me. But um, uh, another scenario, and this is actually super freaking terrifying, another scenario um, that is very plausible, it makes a, a lot of sense, is um, we know that there are ETs and it makes sense to say that, you know, they're they're more advanced than, than we are. They're smarter than we are. They're running around, you know, doing whatever it is that they're, that we're, that they're doing and we're trying to keep up. Um, there's a, a very strong, there's very strong evidence that points to um, the possibility that uh, we are, uh, our, our world, our, um, the, the little reality that we live in here on Earth, within our, our solar system, within the Milky Way galaxy, that we um, were not created out of our own free will, and we were not only created um, uh, out of you know a god or a godhead, um, you know a monotheistic godhead, but that we uh, were created by what our pagan ancestors called sky gods that they very well could have been and are ETs, these interdimensional beings that came before us that have proven to be more advanced than us. And if that's the case, then why? And that changes the entire philosophical debate behind free will. So that means that we don't have free will, or that means we have limited free will, which means it's not free will. So that literally opens up like this whole can of creepy parapsychological worms and um, understanding, you know, if they were here before us, then does that mean that they are the creators? Are they the self movers or does something come um, before that? And that also raises a bunch of questions based off of um, religion and wars and, you know, our society and everything that, you know, modern day technology is, is based off of if um, we, so let's say, for example, that this reality was, you know, Created by ETs and they are in charge and you know that's why they uh, abduct us and that's why you know they they mess with us and they mess with our memories um, there there is also strong evidence that points to the theory that it was the ETs that um, created and implemented into our societal structure the whole idea of a godhead and religion to basically keep us distracted from them and to keep us battling with each other so that we didn't see the bigger picture. So to circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning here about an hour ago, that for me is a very large part of the inner working consciousness and individual people becoming more woke and then the general collective starting to you know, respond to these different things and these changes in the cosmos and these different energies that are, you know, starting to pop up. There are a whole bunch of glitches and people are starting to, to remember things that, that they aren't supposed to remember. 
Like what? Gary, you like look what? like you had a question. <laughs> That's why I, 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 I forgot. She just jumping. talked too long. I forgot what it was. My, oh, my yeah, bad. I, I, I'm going to go off on tangents. I need to be interrupted when I talk about this shit. <laughs> <That's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll forget about something and circle back and be like, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember now. It was about... I don't remember. Sorry, just interrupt me. I will literally talk until... I keep I keep a note a notepad going. I, so, so do I. So do I. I didn't think you'd talk. To, well, I got doing something else. So, so uh, we'll just carry <laughs> on here. So the ET encounter thing that you talked about with Solaris, I want to know. So that story's out there, and I I highly I love we love Solaris, and so check yeah. that show with Jordan Montana out for sure. Check out Solaris's radio show, um, so you can get that story. But give us an idea of what's changed since then. You mentioned things changed since that. And I, that was provocative for me. I wanted to know more. Yes. Um, yeah, no, thank you for catching that. Um, that what changed for me was, um, the manner in which I receive my messages from external stimuli. So, um, the manner in which I receive, uh, images, quite literally my level of a uh, touch change, the way I hear things change. Um, there, it was like, after that encounter, I had like something inside of me. And when I talk about this, I'm even doing it right now, subconsciously, I'm pointing to the center of my chest. Um, so very subconsciously, um, inside this particular chakra, I feel like, um, I like something physically shifted and it's, it has like, 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 um, like tentacles that are leaking into all of these other things and changing my perception and changing my reality. So, um, one example of that is that um, for a while after that first experience that um, I had where they appeared to me and they're like, what are you doing here? Get out, get out, get out. Um, I knew that they were super mad at me because I couldn't talk about it for months afterwards. Um, I physically could not talk about it. I, I would think about it all the time and I would you know, sit down and start to write about it and then would try to tell somebody about what happened. Like I called a couple meetings to talk to a couple people I trusted about it. Like, oh shit, like this you know, weird thing happened. Like this is weird even for me. You know, I need to figure this out. And I physically wasn't able to talk about it. Like they were preventing me from talking about it. So um, that alone right there. So the first few months after that happened, that just ignited me. That pissed me off. You know, I was like, I don't care if you guys were so powerful that you interrupted, you know, my astral projection experience. Thanks for that. And now, you know, it's like as a woman, um, like just how violating that is, like to know that that something else was like inside of me and I could feel it shifting and that uh, it when I tried to talk about it for months afterwards, it brought about a excruciating pain on the right side of my head. So um, it's a, a different kind of, as a woman, that was a different kind of violation that I hadn't experienced. And um, half the people I've talked to about that were like, oh, well, that's a warning. You know, they're just letting you know, don't talk about them. And I'm like, no, that doesn't resonate for me because this is my life. This is my reality. This is my experience. And I'm not going to let some weird ET that appeared to me, you know, out of a bubble, tell me what I can and can't do. So I'm, I'm still figuring all that out. Yeah. Right on. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. I think. 
Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> you just kind of wrapped up my whole sentiment about that, you know, guidance yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Which my goodness. I remember what I was going to say. You were, oh, yeah. You okay. were talking about free will. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say that there's no way to tell. It could hmm. be either thing or both. It could be yeah. both and, you know, there's no way to tell if you have free will or not. There's absolutely yeah. no way. And that makes sense. Yeah. So if you believe you have free will, then you can act your life. You can live your life as if you do have free will. And yeah, that's true. So you're creating a reality that you want for yourself. Yeah, exactly, so you which you can't mm-hmm. really know if that was supposed to happen or not. No, it's, that's true. Yeah, that's it's, sensical. It's, you know, it's an unanswerable question. That's true. And that's terrifying. You know, yeah. it, like... No, oh my God, it is. It's terrifying. It's like, okay, well, what is real? You know, like, nothing's what, real. what does all of this mean? <laughs> nothing's real, man. Yeah, nothing's real. No, <laughs> all of, I'm, so you, well, I'm a projection-based person. So. Yeah, but even with the idea that we would accept that nothing's real and, and in that freedom of, uh, of that idea, um, it's still like, man, it's real. you got to still do the stuff you have to do, right? Yeah. You still have to go right. to work. There's still consequences. And so, you know, we have to maintain a reasonable sense on, on our shared ideas of reality. And so that's what makes it tricky. That's Mm -hmm. what gives it an edge that is um, different than say in our dreams. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really uh, intelligent observation. You're definitely right about that. And that's what I find so fascinating about theology and spirituality as a whole. It's just there are so many avenues. There are so many different routes. Like there's, there's never, you know, a wrong way or a right way. There are just, there are so many different ways. And, um, that's why occultism and paranormal and parapsychology, um, as a, as a whole, they're, they are so fascinating and they're so relevant because, you know, there, there's something to be said about each of these fields of work in each of these academias. And I think as a, um, you know, as woke people, we need to, understand that in order to be, um, you know, higher, you know, vibrational beings in order, you know, to work on these higher frequencies that in order to be a part of this, you know, inner working consciousness that we have to be open to all of that, you know, to not look at things through a religious specified lens and to, you know, um, understand that, you know, the, um, the metaphysics behind everything that we are in control. We absolutely are in control. However, you know, again, <laughs> what, what does that mean in terms of the ETs? You know, because we, we know that they're in more control than we are. So that, that literally changes the playing field for everything. But I have, this is kind of, we've not done this on Nox Mente before. And um, <clears throat> I just have this, I just have this urge. I want to do this with you. so you're the first so it's like word association and so (laughs) okay (laughs) and it's not and not lengthy okay so just give me like the very first things that kind of come to your mind when i say these things okay all right octopi or cephalopods Mm. um the first thing that came to my head was a tentacle but that's also because i started to see random tentacles around this last year like just random tentacles in random places on random people. That's Jerry. <laughs> it's not me. I'm clean. I have no attachments. Get out of here. Just <laughs> okay. Um, well, tentacles is good. And then. Um, What's the spider thing? I also, I want, so actually let's pause here and let's talk about this because what you said is fascinating. 
So you're seeing tentacles around people. Can you give us a, a taste or an image, an idea of what, um, what's going yeah. on with that? Yeah, this is actually a fun story. Um, I'll try to keep it short since I tend to go off on my tangents and it upsets Jerry. <laughs> Poor Jerry. Poor Jerry. It doesn't upset me. I love listening to you. I just, I, I. I. This is our two witches and a Jerry episode. Right. I know. It's so cute. And I'm letting you both talk and enjoy it. Okay. So tentacles. Tentacles. Um. So. I went on a, a week-long camping trip in July for my birthday, and it, it was like over 4th of July weekend. My birthday was shortly after that, and um, everybody knows like I'm, you know, hardcore, outdoorsy, pagan girl. I love to backpack. I love to, you know, get outside and not shower for seven days. Um, so uh, I went with a, a group of friends and um, to this very special mountain in Eastern Oregon. Uh, very, very spiritual, beautiful, peaceful uh, piece of land uh, for me. And uh, we were, um, we actually, um, I held a few parapsychological experiments that weekend. Like I, I basically made somebody help me, you know, with something. And cause I was like, well, we're going to the spiritual piece of land. I need to utilize it. And then of course, you know, like we just had campfires and hike and played, but. Wait, 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 um, wait, wait. Did you, you made them do it with your mind? Was that one of the experiments? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Just clarifying. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, so, uh, one, one night I had this experience with this, um, so there, there's this, um, it's like 240 acres. It's, it's completely, and it's completely private. So there's nobody else up there. Um, and, uh, I love to, um, sleep in tents. So I'm either always in a tent or just outside under the sky, or if it's too cold or rainy, there's a cabin. So sometimes we'll sleep in the cabin, but, um, uh, this particular night, um, I was in a tent and a, a couple of my guy friends were sleeping in the cabin. And, uh, this particular night, this, uh, she, the avatar was a woman. She felt feminine, but you know, she wasn't a human woman. She wasn't a ghost. She wasn't somebody that used to be a human woman. Um, it, she felt very much like an ET, but a lot different than, than the, than the ones that I'd been seeing over, you know, these last, um, couple of years. Um, she was actually really scary looking. She looked like, like a, a, dirty old hag and she was also wearing a cloak it's like they're always wearing cloaks like they have to be so ominous and um it's easier to render just a cloak than a whole body right yeah yeah i'm just gonna put on a cloak yeah and like and they always have their hoods on like they always have to be creepy and so cryptic um but she appeared to me one night and um she was like trying she wasn't very friendly she was trying to get into my personal bubble and i had to basically like sit down and go into like this hardcore meditation session and it, it probably literally only lasted about 10 minutes but she was so strong and i didn't know what she wanted with me um but she was manipulating me and just like trying to piss me off and i i i was like fighting her. I'm like, no, go away. Well, then the very next night, um, my friends that were sleeping in the cabin, they uh, came to me in the morning and they're like, yeah, Montana, you know, we had this really scary dream. And they both had, um, they both had different dreams. So they were both sleeping under the same roof in the cabin. Um, they both each claimed that they had a, um, a different dream, but they both saw my scary hag lady 
in both of their dreams. And I was like, hmm, okay, this sounds like it's not a dream. I'm going to need more information, please. And um, so one of the guys told me that she actually spoke to him and she told him, beware of the tentacles. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. That means nothing to me, you know, whatever. I didn't think anything more about it until later that week. I was actually, (laughs) it's going to sound completely crazy, but it's true. I was at a Mexican restaurant and um, having uh, lunch with a friend, got up to um, go to the bathroom. I'm in the stall, I'm peeing and there's nobody else in the bathroom with me, no human person. I'm peeing and quite literally a, a disembodied tentacle comes up from underneath the, the stall. Like there's like this crazy octopus person standing on the other side of the door. So I see tentacles come up from underneath the door and they're like, they're like long and sleek and like very like alien-esque. And they um, like start to come up from underneath the door, like, like all like, like, ominous like like being all creepy and I'm sitting there I'm peeing so I can't get up so I'm just watching these tentacles and I'm like am I crazy am I actually seeing these tentacles and I was I wasn't drunk or anything um so I I opened the stall door knowing I wasn't going to see anybody there and of course there was nobody there so I went back and I um to my table and I was like yeah um well that you know that hag lady that was talking about you know telling, you know, our friend to beware of the tentacles, I saw the tentacles. So I'm trying, and since then I have seen tentacles around and on certain people. And um, I have understood, so the tentacle thing is still new to me, but I think now that that is a warning. When I see um, somebody uh, with a tentacle near them, that means that they are not somebody good for me and I'm supposed to go away. And it's taken me a while to figure that out. Yeah, I I would interpret it as um, some kind of vampirism happening through the tentacles. Yeah. So, yeah. and whatever that would entail along with it. Yeah. It's it's fascinating because I um I had I had a series of very strange dreams that involved kind of cephalopod like things and I've been I went on off planet media talking about it and I've talked about it a lot and so this is very interesting feedback for me and then we had uh Thomas shit the wonderful Thomas Sheridan on our show recently mm-hmm. who was bringing to light the idea of um how significant Lovecraft is to this modern world mm-hmm. and and the the mythos therein right the old ones coming out of the the deep water with the yeah. tentacles and how that stuff is now in our it's in the collective. We're seeing it. And so you're just, you're bringing another very significant piece to that narrative for me. I'm um, this, so this whole show right now, that is a gem I needed Aww. to hear. <laughs> I've even heard to that point that you mentioned about um, the, the great old ones coming back and the whole Lovecraft mythos. Uh, I remember hearing a couple of years ago that, well, I remember hearing someone tell, talking about how the Deepwater Horizon thing was actually a ritual to summon Cthulhu. Hmm. There, yeah, there's so much there that is like, it, it's starting to be taken seriously. And um, I can't wait for this to unfold more. Yeah, me too. I love it. 
<laughs> but the fact that you're seeing these is fascinating me, especially with this dream imagery I've had. Okay, so and you guys the, weren't like looking at hentai before then, right? No. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> Would you like to look at hentai? <laughs> Did you hear us laugh together? That was kind of, girl. This could be coven material. Anyway, right. oh my God, I know. Like, we were both just cackling just now. Did everybody else hear that? Uh, I've <laughs> I mean, got like, it recorded. Don't worry, harmony. you will hear it. That was in harmony. That was awesome. That's funny. Oh my okay. God, we're like old gods tentacles. <laughs> I know. Okay, so the next, the all right, back to the word association. Deep water. Hmm. Yes. I don't know why, but the first thing I thought of was um, Flathead Lake in the Flathead Valley in Montana, where I was born. That's all. That Flathead Lake is great. Yeah. Um, all right. Deep space. Mm. Deep space. Man. I don't really have a word for that. I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of imagery. Um, I guess if I had to put a word to it, I, I would say like ET or interdimensional because that's, that's how, how I perceive it now. Deep space, it's, it's, um, it's deep space is, is a part of, of, of all of us is interdimensional. Like we are deep space. Oh, definitely. Okay. Inner earth. Inner earth. That to me would be, uh, Gaia and mother nature and nature as a whole and romanticism and paganism and, and witchcraft, you know, uh, creation. Okay. What about, um, the deep forest, you know, like the very remote forest. Hmm. This first thing that came to my, my mind would be Gaia, like, for me, I associate all that with my my creationism, my womanhood, and my sisterhood, and my femininity, and my sexuality. That's where my powers come from, and that's how I connect to you know the the woods and the earth. Excellent. What about um, dream dreams? Hmm. For me, that's that's a past life remissions. It's past life remembrances or trying to understand or fix things from past lives that's that's what it means for me how about spirit spirit to me is just um another word for energy or psyche or pneuma whatever your your breath life is your your life force mm, pneuma what about soul same thing is spirit and soul they're interchangeable i'm not a big fan of either of those words because they also denote a religious imagery so i usually just say energy so that's what i mean when i say energy so, all right, let's pause here for a second. Give us, and this is a general Knox Mente thing. We, I'm always asking, at least, like, what's, how do, how do you experience the ideas of spirit and soul? Are they separate? And you just kind of gave us a little header there. Mm -hmm. um, so, stripping them of religious connotation, what are those energies? Hmm. I think that they are quite literally, I think that they have uh, two spectrums. And again, it's how I was, uh, you know, describing people becoming more woke. I think that there is um, an individual energy. We are all our own individuals, all our own people. We have our, our own psyches and our own subconsciousness. Um, however, we are also a part of a larger working inner consciousness. So 
we've got our individual energy that is connected to the larger energy and energy is all the same. So it's basically like we are, you know, all one in the same, but we still have our own, you know, individualized personalities and our own traits and our own attributes that make us us. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's good. That was good. I actually think I'm going to start asking doing that more often that it just fills in blanks. All right. I, I have this nagging question and I'm not sure yeah. why, and it's not one I usually ask, but I'm, the image of someone I used to follow years ago when I was on um, Facebook came up and um, and she kind of coined a term and then it got, I think, co-opted by, mm -hmm. I don't know, whomever, but the world now knows it by another term. But she her name is Starfire Tour and she coined it as time slips. And then now time slips are kind of talked about as Mandela effect. Mm -hmm. What is, have you been Mandela affected? What do you think about that whole experience? Mm, I like that. Yeah. Um, so that's going to fall under the realm of, you know, what some people call a glitch in the matrix, what some yes. people call, you know, deja vu. Mm -hmm. um, some people call I, misremembering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Jerry, I love you. <laughs> Um, for me, I think it, I think everything is much more simplistic than we make it out to be. For me, it all comes down to, um, energy and energetic travel or soul travel or astral projection or time travel. I think it's all the same. We just have different, uh, ways to express it, just different ways to access, uh, that, that, um, uh, and, and to embody it. But uh, for me, I think that, um, because we are all our own people and we are all experiencing and creating our, our own realities. Uh, but so it's going to be different again for everybody. But for me, I think it, it all comes from the, the same place that your, your psyche, once you figure out, um, where that comes from and how to pull it up outside of you and how to, um, access it. That's, um, I think exactly what soul travel and, you know, traveling in your dream states and lucid dreaming and, you know, remembering past life experiences. I think it's all the same. I think it's all uh, just like different mechanisms to the, again, to the larger working inner consciousness. Like if you picture it as like a, a really big lucid machine and all of these things are just like, you know, little bolts and nuts and gadgets that are connected to the bigger machine so that they all uh, have their, their own individual traits, but they're all connected so they're all significant and they all need each other in order to make the world turn okay i um so with so so honing in on some of like the classic examples with the mandela effect like mm -hmm. the berenstein bears versus the berenstein bears do you <laughs> did you have any of those specific um did any of that ring true for you? I can't remember some of the others. Mm, no, but again, even if it did, I don't know if I would remember. Um, uh, it seems like my experiences and my realities growing up, like the more I talked to other people, like the shit that I saw and the shit that I experienced was so much different than what other human people experienced. Um, 
So no, I, I would, would definitely, I haven't had a deja vu in quite a while, but I definitely have, you know, experienced glitches that I couldn't explain, um, deja vus or just, uh, you know, very simply, uh, walking into a room that, you know, or like a, a state that, you know, you've never been to before, but you know where everything is. It's like, how do you explain that? You know? Um, so I, I experience things like that all the time. I don't necessarily think it's a, uh, I don't necessarily call it the Mandela effect. For me, it's just uh, like getting little bits and glimpses of um, my inner consciousness. It's like there are little validations from the universe that I'm on the right path, that I'm being shown these different things. And they don't always make sense, but they're always relevant. Yeah, very good. Um, I hear you. We're all so different and everything. And this is this is what we talk about. This is why it's all kind of intangible. Memory and reality gets fuzzy once it's moved past the now. And, yeah. you know, and so it makes things interesting when pondering ideas like reality shifts. Yeah. Um, what is the weirdest thing, weirdest experience you've had in your life so far? I mean, just and it can be under any category, just the thing something that shook you the most mm. um top of the list would be the et encounter but we already know about that so i will tell you guys about um probably the thing that's second on my list that was um a few years ago i uh um, I'm, I'm a toucher. So when I do paranormal and parapsychological research work, when I conduct investigations, I walk into somebody's place of re residence or, you know, their business, and I make it known to outside stimuli that they're allowed to touch me. Most people don't do that. It, it makes them uncomfortable, but, um, I communicate, uh, through touch and feel. So I'm able to pick up on more when I let them touch me. Um, so with that said, um, being touched never surprises me. I, I get touched, I get poked. Um, uh, one time I got, a, I got a really firm, um, hand on my ass at the end of an investigation up in Washington. And, um, I get like, uh, my shirt tugged on all the time. Um, sometimes I get pushed. Um, but one time I got touched and it really jolted me. Uh, I was getting into bed. I wasn't asleep yet. So this, you know, wasn't a, you know, a sleep state, but I was getting into bed and I, I was alone. I was by myself. I had, um, two hands that cut off at the wrist. So no arms, no, no human body, no nothing other than hands, two hands around my throat. They were big, large male hands with big, fat fingers with big, fat fingernails. I could look down and I could see them. They were on my throat. They were uh, choking me. They were actually physically there. I could feel them. And I was like in my bed rolling around, um, you know, with my hands up against my throat, you know, trying to breathe and slap these hands away. And I don't know if I fought them off for three seconds or 30 seconds or 30 minutes. I don't know. I just remember being, um, absolutely terrified. And, um, I still remember what they looked like. They were like, they were like old man hands and they were very strong. And then, um, they just eventually dissipated. They just went away and they never came back. And I talked to a colleague of mine, um, shortly after it happened. And it was funny because, uh, he works as a professional psychic. He knew about it before I told him, he's like, yeah, I know what you're going to tell me. And I'm like, oh yeah, you do, do ya? And, um, I was like, well, this has never happened to me before. You know, 
where did these hands come from and why were they so angry? And um, <laughs> I never told him about the when I do dream, I have, you know, past life um, memories. And he was like, oh, yeah, they're connected to your past life memories that you have. You know, this was just some guy that, that you did wrong and he was mad at you. And, you know, he found you in this life and he was seeking retribution. I was like, what? <laughs> Slow down. So, um, yeah, so that happened. So that's real. So they um, understanding that energy can take on different forms and it's not necessarily biological, but it is tangible. So that that's definitely a, a new reality. Oof, that's... Are you only a, uh, what do they call it, psychometry, right? <clears throat> With uh, people or things um, too? No, yeah, no, I can do that with things as well. Cool. That would be my secret superpower. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work every single time, um, but I, I have um, taken, um, I have participated in uh, pretty profound parapsychological experiments over the years that have been drafted and documented and published in um, different publications. So uh, working, you know, um, as a psychometrist and, you know, reading, um, you know, information from certain people and objects. So yeah, it's did, fun. Uh, yeah. Did you ever see that movie? It was an old movie called Vibes with um, Cindy Lauper and I saw it. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> No, was it called it's Vibes, a, Jerry, a, or was it something else? It was called Vibes, B-I-B-E-S. Uh, I totally remember it, though. Yeah, Goldblum <laughs> was a psychometrist, and Lopper was a, she just had a very talkative spirit. Who was. It, it's like 90, early 90s or late yeah, 80s. Yeah, it was in the 80s for sure. Great movie, great movie. Like 1990. Peter Falk was in it. Yeah, I love Peter Falk. <laughs> I forgot all about that movie. That's awesome, Jerry. It's a great movie. Okay, so I guess this is going to head up my... Um, I've got a two-parter here. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, I think I forgot the one part. So um, <laughs> that's hilarious. I usually write down everything. So the idea of death, mm -hmm. right? So we've already talked about what that we could possibly be dead, what this is that we're experiencing now and all that. And you've really brought a lot of that. Like I didn't have to, there's so many things I just didn't even have to ask you. Um, and, um, and again, you profit, you came in with, uh, with your real strong sense of what your idea of dreams is. So I felt mm -hmm. like I didn't have to linger in there very long. Okay. Um, but this idea of death. Okay. The other part came to me. So throughout, the historical records that we have, there are seated within every culture stories of immortals, fascinating stories of immortals and of all kinds. And, um, and some that are, you know, a lot of them that are actually tangible immortals and um, some that are not. But where's your stance on that ability? Now, we are. I already know you don't believe we die. I don't, at least. Mm -hmm. And I thought I heard you say that. Mm -hmm. um, so, right. There's a sense of immortality with just that perspective. Yeah. But if we ground this back down to the reality of the collective that we're having, where you're across the river from me and Jerry's in Georgia and all this, where we have these parameters, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's a sense of, of a grounded reality. The idea of a long-lived immortal, even in the Bible that talks about, you know, people living very long lives, 
what are your thoughts on that? Is that a reality? Can that happen within reality? I can't remember the famous Jewish one. Oh my God, it's so fascinating. Um, and then with that, I want to transition into the idea of death. Mm-hmm. And um, since it's something that that is part of the contract we signed coming into this reality, and that's a real contract we signed because we all know in here that mm-hmm. that's where we're, that's a process that we're going to go through. Mm-hmm. And um, however you package it, it's still something you're going to go through. You're going to unpack when you die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, so I kind of want to lead from the idea of immortality within the flesh into the idea of the eternal in the idea of death that's non-physical. I like, okay, this is a great topic. This is very theological. Um, uh, I can't call myself a a theologian yet because I don't have my PhD yet, but um, as an inspiring theologian, like this shit is so fascinating for me. Um, Me too, it's great. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, it's um, it's so much fun. So um, yeah, I absolutely do believe in the possibility of immortality. And uh, yes, looking at it from a, uh, what you just said, you know, an inner consciousness perspective, uh, what we know that um, we are made up of energy. We know that energy can't be destroyed. It just transfers and it alters, you know, it turns into something else, whatever that may be. Ergo, you know, there is no death. Um, so we know that. So getting that out of the way, that means that immortality does exist on some form, but to what extent and how far does that immortality reach? And, um, so is that immortality on an energetic form and, and what does, you know, energy mean essentially? So if every time I leave, um, a meat sack, every time I leave a physical body, am I still me? Do I still carry on the same attributes and personality and, you know, the same, taste in music and you know the 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 same flares of things that make me me and is that is that the definition of immorality or immortality is that is that you know something that that makes an individual an individual or is it even not that is it something you know more more complex or more simple than that so for me from a theological perspective um i you know i think the most um uh easy easiest reference um being in a, a christianized society here in america i look at you know the life of jesus christ and it's a, a really um a really fascinating area of uh, theology um in dealing with um uh the life of jesus christ if he did actually exist it's this um area of academic study called christology where you're actually it's it's so fascinating like christology and moral theology are probably my favorites i'm such a nerd for that shit but with christology um essentially what we do is we break down and examine and scrutinize the um divinity of jesus christ versus the humanity of jesus christ so you know how how divine was he you know if he was divine we know that that he you know he was you know allegedly half human that makes him a hybrid or that makes him a demigod and we know that that notion has come from you know a lot of other cultures a lot of older cultures you know we're looking at um you know gilgamesh from mesopotamia and you know we're looking at you know of course like um all the other greek gods and um, the whole idea of um, uh, immortality and divinity living inside of human beings is a major tenet in Hinduism as well. And we know that Hinduism is a very archaic uh, pagan philosophy. And uh, Hinduism teaches us that um, 
that reincarnation is in fact real. And Hinduism is also really big on um, expressing the self through, you know, time travel and astral projection and time loops and all that fun stuff. So um, the point is that we are seeing all of these different major religions and faiths and cultures from throughout the the, the whole world in like every corner of, of the, the human earth, um, some aspect of immortality, but what does it mean for religions, they say, oh, immortality exists, but you have to, you know, you're committing these sins. So you have to go through this hierarchy, you have to climb this ladder and you have to, you know, write all of these wrongs before you can get it. And then we've got these other cultures that say, no, you're already, you're already immortal because you're already divine. You know, if, if a actual historical Jesus Christ did exist, the whole point of his existence was to prove to the rest of us, to the rest of, of humans that, you know, Hey, we are half divine as well we are hybrids as well. We are demigods as well. And that's the whole notion of that theological debate behind um, the Christology of Jesus Christ. You know, how human was he versus his divinity? If he was half human and half divine, and if he actually, you know, did have children, and he probably did, um, you know, all evidence points to that he did, then that means that there is, you know, a, a blood race of Jesus Christ that exists on this earth. And, you know, some people would say that that's, you know, more of a, of a royal, you know, human some blood race, what have you. It's the Merovingians. Yep. We've already gone, everyone's gone through that. Already. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's, it's so fascinating, but um, for me... It's a fruitless quest, um, I think. It's all <laughs> bullshit, uh, like, <laughs> fake trails that the Templars put out just to fuck with people. Yeah, and we know that that's true. Yeah, it, it, that's so fascinating. Yeah, that, that's a whole other area of um, like theological history imagine, that is, is so much fun. Imagine how much of our history today that we have been told is actually that kind of fuckery from. Oh my God, yeah, yes. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I always say, you know, like, you know, if, if somebody, you know, chooses to be a part of the religion, okay, cool. But, you know, don't let yourself be limited to just that because there are so many other ideologies and philosophies. And that's what true spirituality is looking at everything from a larger perspective, from all the different religions. Um, so totally. So for me, um, I think that, you know, uh, reincarnation is real. I think that therefore ergo that immortality is real. And I think that, um, if it's not necessarily real in a, in a tangible form, because we know that uh, with, uh, we're made up of atoms and molecules, and we know that um, every day that we age, and that, you know, once our life force leaves our biological body, that, you know, it starts to decay, and it starts to mold, and it starts to break down, and it, you know, goes back into the earth but that it goes back into the ecosystem. You know, it's food for something else. So there's immortality in that scientific and biological sense as well. So from all areas of the spectrum, I would say, yeah, you know, immortality is real. Is it, is it, so there's, um, aside from like the bigger was, stories, was where the we question, know, like, um, is immortality real? The, the question was, is it possible? Okay. So, and yeah. and I base the question off of all of these old, um, all these old texts. Yeah, and like Noah's nine hundred years old, that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, alleged, and um, and and so it can tie into. We have myths of immortals all across the world still, and um, 
and that are devoid of religion, that are that are even on the darker side, say the vampire, mm-hmm. and um, that comes out of more than just what we've been told with the current idea of not the Victorian vampire, but the medieval vampire, mm-hmm. the ghoulish one. Um, and so there's this, but there's this famous immortal, I can't, it's gonna, I'll think of him later, he's Jewish, he's not Jewish, he actually, I mean, he's just born, he's Hebrew, and he's, you know, that was what he was, um, came in as, and then he, Mm -hmm. there's a story going around about him, I can't think of it, and I'm sorry, people, that's so, so tacky. Yeah, I should know what you're talking about, yeah, so yeah. But it's out there. Anyway, so I'm just, I'm pondering the idea if reality is possibly mutable, and if we have the ability to, if somehow we're able to unlock channels of consciousness and rearrange the, the, uh, get a hold of our projection. What this is assuming, right? This is assuming all that work is already done. That we've pulled assuming in, we've done true. this in, in Jungian terms. We've individ, we've individuated, and we've got this sense of wholeness. And our projections in the outer world are done. So this is this is at a higher level, mm-hmm. and um, which is why you hear about it from like a weird monk up in the mountains somewhere, or you know, it's always these estranged people from society that have gone beyond. And, um, and we see it in literature. It's always that one out in, you know, you go the elder, right? You go, mm-hmm. you get the, the wisdom you need from the elder that is possibly an immortal. So, okay. So with that, I mean, we can talk about that all night. So your ideas of death though. Mm-hmm. So, and as, as you encounter it, so you work with the dead, but mm-hmm. as, as you ponder on your own idea of, and especially in, in, in a lot of magic, um, you know, like I was always taught that we must, this was a teaching for me, is to draw power from your own death when it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And while you're alive, this is a great moment of energetic um, and an energetic explosion. This is a supernova when you pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's massive amount of energy. And so if you can draw upon it all along, there's something to be had there. There's something juicy to be had and possibly can take you to a new level of, um, of awareness and ability Mm -hmm. within this reality of a dream we're in. And, um, so what are your ideas on death on that, on those terms, on the terms of it's more than just a portal, more than just, um, shrugging, shrugging off the meat suit is oh yeah (laughs) i know give us a little bit of your ideas on death and then i you know open up to the audience for questions oh yeah okay yeah i'm Um, waiting for you guys to wrap it up so i can ask (laughs) jerry's like hello i'm so here oh hi jerry (laughs) hi when did you come (laughs) whenever possible whenever possible (laughs) um it's funny uh, for me. Um, something I say all the time is "Yay, death!" I I love the idea of death. I am I'm not just fascinated by death. Um, I love death. I view death as something so positive and so enlightening and so beautiful. And I think when people break it down, that um, 
when people are afraid of death, of course, you know, it's natural to be afraid of what you don't know, because we don't, you know, know for sure what's going to happen, you know, when, when we leave our meat sacks, but, um, that should be the exciting part of it. You know, it's, it's, it's half terrifying, but that's also, you know, the exhilarating part of it, you know, that's still like the larger part of our human experience is what comes after we die. Yay death. Um, but, it's, I don't think it's just that. I think what people are afraid of is the pain. You know, people, um, are, are <laughs> most humans have the lowest pain threshold. It's ridiculous. And everybody is afraid to get hurt. Everybody is afraid to suffer. And I think that those are privileges. I think every time you hurt, every time you get your feelings hurt, every time you get physically hurt, every time your, your heart gets broken, you know, every time something, you know, really traumatic that happens to you, that shifts you, those are all privileges because those are all, you know, different, um, stones, stepping stones on, on your, your path to true spirituality and living your full human experience. So it's, it's, you know, these, these painful moments and it's, 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 you know, the, the hurts and, and the traumas that, that shape us. And it's, um, that I think, that is the strongest human emotion because yes, we can all feel happiness and we can all experience love, but it's the shitty stuff that, that really changes us. And it's, it's that stuff that's worth living for. So I tie that into everything. I tie that into my personal work. I tie that into my professional work is understanding that it's okay to, you know, feel hurt and uh, what an honor it is to, you know, be somebody uh, intelligent enough to experience all of these emotions and that I have the capability to control them and manipulate them and recycle them. And again, you know, to create the reality that, that I want to live in, not just, you know, from myself today, but the reality that I think I'm creating when I leave my meat sack. That's the whole point. Like, I, I love my life. I'm, I, I'm a pretty happy person. I think everything is great all the time, but I'm not doing what I'm doing uh, for myself right now. I'm not, I'm not very good at living in the moment. I'm always thinking about what's going to happen down the road. I'm always thinking, literally, I think about death all the time. I work with dead people. I think about, okay, well, if I do this today and if, you know, if I finish writing this or if I meet with this clientele, or if I try to sit down and get in touch with one of my witch grandmas today or do something today, that's going to get me closer to where I think I need to be when I die. Or, you know, if I can create the reality that I want after I die, if I can understand everything that happens after I die, then I'm getting closer. That to me is the, is like the, the whole point. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I can, you know, um, subtract the whole human experience of, you know, living in the now, because that's very important as well. I need to, you know, let myself be free and experience what I meant to experience. But for me, death is the greatest goal, the greatest achievement. I think that you know, it's, it's going to be how we die and, you know, where we choose to be in that moment of death and what happens right after we open up and we, we realize that we're dead. I think that that's when we're going to know everything that we're meant to know. I think that that's when we're going to remember everything that we forgot. And, um, I feel that very strongly because with that, uh, the first profound ET experience that I had when I was astral projecting and the ETs popped in and they were like, get out, get out, get out. Um, I remember when I was in that frame of mind, um, the old Asian lady version of myself that was showing me past life versions um, of, you know, different lives that I lived before the ETs um, intercepted me. I 
I kept saying, oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, how could I forget? I remember, how could I possibly forget this? And when I came back to, that was one of the most profound things that I, I took from that entire experience because I have a really bad memory. I have a terrible memory problem. And um, so the fact that I went to such a lucid location and had such a profound experience with what I believe was, um, you know, a past life version of myself, another psyche of myself. And in that moment, when I was up there with myself, I remembered everything. And I felt so stupid that I forgot all of these amazing things. And I try, and that's something that I try to think about with my work now. Um, like I just held a, a workshop on um, utilizing the Ouija board. It was a great event. Like it was such a fun night. But I think about that. I take myself back to where I felt that moment before the ETs intercepted me, where I, I remembered everything and how empowered I felt. And for me, I think that is going to be symptomatic of death. That's how we're going to, when we die, we're going to remember everything that we forgot because we're not going to be limited anymore. We're not going to be tethered to the earth anymore. So um, that's what death means for me, I guess. Thank you. That was, that was great. And that was uh, hard to answer. <laughs> it is, well, it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's famously like one of the famous ponders. And I, what I love is that we all have a different take on it. And, yeah. Um, and it, just like dreaming and in reality and all that. And so that's what we're interested in is what are the differences. Um, yeah. and, and in those differences, we find a lot of similarities. But I, so Jerry Ale, I know we seem to carry on. This has already been two hours. So yeah. I'm sure you. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, girl, we just carrying on. But um, I'm energized tonight. So this is great. I'm oh falling my gosh, asleep over here. Gosh. Sorry, Jerry. No, it's, it's, it's late for me. It's 1 a.m. He's on the East Coast. Uh, All right. So, question. I'm looking. So. I'll just say hello to everyone in the chat. I'm not in there, obviously. Brother of uh, famous musician Chick Corea, Joseph Corea is here. <gasps> and has asked. I uh, love Chick Corea. I don't think they're related. Okay. Well, I'm sure I do they love are. Chick Corea, though. Do you practice ceremonial magic? And if so, which, any particular system? In a paragraph or less? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he almost made me spit my tea out. Say, hilarious. Yes, Solomonic. Yes. Yes. Chaos. Yes. Um, Which magic? Actually, uh, yes, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, a little bit of everything. And um, I am not drawn to one particular area. I am not drawn to one particular tradition. I think the key is uh, skipping around and finding something that that works for you. Again, it's an organic process. So. Um, I, I literally partake in everything. Super, super duper. All right. Here's another question. I, this was from Joseph again, I believe. Uh, how does it feel to be named after a state? <laughs> it feels pretty awesome because Montana is the most amazing state ever. Montana is, is just so free. It's so liberating. Montana is fantastic. I love it. Oh, my God. It is. And I've always said that if there is a God, she has to live in Glacier National Park. It's just the definition of paradise. It's complete, just mountainous, heavenly, complete openness. It's, it's like there are no words. 
girl, you're getting me wet. And I love Montana too. <laughs> There's that synchronized oh cackling again. Oh my God. We just, we just became best friends. <laughs> All right, Jerry, back to you. Thank you. Um, Why is it inappropriate? I saw that look on no, your face. No, because it's going to be a lot. No. There's oh, no, you're like, yeah, Montana can't answer short Inappropriate is a word that this show does not recognize. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the other question he asked was, uh, in your opinion, what is the alchemical, quote, first matter? Quote. What is my opinion of what? What is the alchemical first matter? I don't Ooh. even know what I mean. That's a good question. That is a good question. In a paragraph or what? <laughs> no, I'm going to need to think about that one. Okay. I want to think about that one. That's a really good question. And I, I want to give it um, a, a, a thought-based answer. Yeah, so maybe we might can... have to tweet that out. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Yeah, that's a great question. All right, we'll get a tweet. Maybe you can write a blog post okay. about it or something. All right. <laughs> In as many paragraphs as I want, Jerry. As many as you yeah. want. No, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to rush you at all. But... Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, and uh, this was the other one. Have you ever had a near-death experience? Oh. Mm. Um, That's very Knox Mente. Yes, it is. That is an excellent question. Um, You know what? Unfortunately, I don't think I have. Um, I've never been severely hurt. I've never been um, severely diseased. I've never had to be in the hospital. I've never even broken a bone. Um, I've had scares. Like when I was little, I thought that I was going to drown one time. And my mom was like, no, you didn't almost drown. You were fine. But, you know, I thought I was going to drown. But no, I haven't, unfortunately. And that sucks because I want one. Yay, death. Yay, death. <laughs> That is awesome. Okay, one more, one more last question, then we'll call it. Um, what is your opinion of panpsychism? A panpsychism? Of panpsychism, yes. A panpsychism. Can somebody look that up for me? Real I'm doing quick? it right now. Thank you. I'm. We're going to learn something. I know here. what it means. I just can't. Remember. It's a doctrine or belief that everything material, however small, has an element of individual consciousness. It's like animism, yes. sort of. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's a, a, a very um, well-known pagan tenet as well. Yeah, that, you know, everything is a part of, you know, everything has a collective voice. Sure. It, everything, yeah, has its own, its, own, its own life force. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, if you think about, if you have the perspective that, that our existence is, um, it, it's born from consciousness, it's projected through consciousness, however you want to look at it that way, then, then of course it does, because everything is made from consciousness would have consciousness in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. As um, uh, the whole idea of um, pantheism, you know, not necessarily mm -hmm. everything being related to a God or a specific Godhead, but that there is divinity in everything and everyone. I fully believe that. All right, one more question from Joseph. Uh, uh, what? I don't know how to phrase it. I don't know what it is. Santis Santisima Muerte? San Muerte. In like not, in not Santa Muerte. It's Santisima Muerte. I don't know what that is. 
I'm looking it up. Hold on. Saint death. No, it's not. Oh, isn't it the same thing? Just yeah, I, th I thought it's the same. Okay, so yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. So I, I suppose Joseph, if he's asking me, like, if I like her, yeah, she's my homegirl. She's awesome. <laughs> she's <laughs> just an, another, you know, cultural personification of uh, death, and you know, therefore, you know, destruction and and you know, uh, by consequence, creation as well. You know, she's a. Uh, you know, associated with healing and, and protection and, and all the things that a great female deity is supposed to be in charge of. Boss lady. Oh, right. totally the boss lady. Yeah, just like Holly, <laughs> my girl. Cool. Great. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Did you want to? It's wanna... been great having you sit there listen while. Oh, you waxed on? It's okay. It's my job. I know. Yeah. And you're um, right. I didn't realize um, how late it was over there for you. It's, so all, it's all good. I'm not, no complaints. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Um, yeah. Um, I have uh, so many new things that will be coming up for um, our, our new year. Happy New Year. And uh, for 2019 and 2020. Um, so uh, I will be making official announcements soon. So I want everybody to uh, keep up with me with a my brand new uh, website that I just launched over the summer, www.montanajordan.com. You guys can uh, keep up with me there. And um, I want to connect with my public more. So I encourage people to uh, go to my site and there's um, at my last page, um, there's a contact me tab where you guys can just send me a message to say hi. If you know, people just want to check in and let me know, you know, where they're listening from. And if anybody has a, a question, um, and then of course, contact me on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I, I definitely want, you know, people to keep up with me. And um, I am working on a bunch of major projects and they're coming out a lot more slowly than I thought they would be because time is obviously an issue. Adulting is hard, but I've got um, a lot of big things in the work. So really excited to share that with everybody soon. Right. Sounds great. And I put all links for those uh, the sites you mentioned in the description. And they're also in the show notes channel in our Discord server. Please join if you'd like to chat with us. So Absolutely. that's it for me and Nish and Montana. Next week we have um, Corinne Boyer from Maple Mistwood. Yes. She's uh, another, another She's witch. a Washington native. Or not native. Ooh. She lives oh, out a, here, though. She's like a... Uh, Hedgewood, no, herbal witch or herbal yeah. holistic yeah, healer. Yeah, yes. Awesome. Medicine woman. There we go. That's what I was looking She's for. fantastic. This will be in, yeah, it's great. Um, th I, I just want to say thank you, everyone. It's Javi Sawin. Uh, Montana, you are fantastic. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, and, and Javi Sawin. Such an my honor love to, to the chat. Right, yeah. It's such an honor to be on this show tonight of all nights. This is such a, a huge night. So yes, happy Sawin to everyone. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for spending it with us. Yes, oh, of course. No, it, the honor is mine. I appreciate it. All right, we're out. Later, guys. Have a good one. <laughs>